our series on um, the gracious community, being a gracious community in an angry world. And a few weeks ago, we talked about uh, disciples' perspective, what it means to have a biblical worldview in a place where there's so many competing worldviews. We talked about a disciple's identity, that we are ambassadors for Christ, that we are basically missionaries who are faithfully bringing this living hope really into a foreign land in which we live. And today we wanna look at methodology. How do disciples bring this message of hope, particularly into this angry world? And, and a simple answer is that we really want to bring God's truth through the genuine love of Jesus Christ. Now again, this is nothing new. Uh, love is a language that speaks to everyone. And some of you remember these guys. Uh, basically, regardless of your worldview, regardless of your tribe, regardless of your culture, our world craves love. We long to be objects of love. All the components of love, dignity, respect, uh, encouragement, affirmation. We, we cherish these things. We value these things. We seek these things, all of us together, not just us as believers, but the whole world. And yet we, we look at this and say, but God's greatest gift of love seems so difficult to share. Now we know that there are certain elements of the love of God that's hard for some to accept. God's love includes uh, justice includes truth. It includes the judgment of sin. God's love is not uh, an easy love, the easy love of the world. Uh, it's a love that's focused on, 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 the, 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 uh, on Jesus, on his death, on his resurrection. It's not a, a comfortable love. It's a love that requires humility, confession, repentance, and trust. And we as believers, as followers of Jesus, we're uh, called to demonstrate this Jesus type of love uh, to exemplify the gospel in order to counter all the lies and the brokenness and, and the struggles of sin in this world. And so the question is, you know, how do we bring this Jesus type of love to a world that's increasing in anger and polarization and, and, and skepticism and particularly towards uh, Christians? Uh, today I wanted us to turn to a very familiar parable that Jesus taught found in Luke, and I believe that, that it speaks particularly to the generation in which we are right now, the, the atmosphere in which we are right now, uh, are in right now. And turn with me to Luke chapter 10, verse 17. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. And let's go ahead and stand in reverence for God's word. And it says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. And he said, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and, But who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, he came to the place, and he saw him and passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine, 
Then he sent him on his own, he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn to take care of him. And the next day he took two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of this man, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And Jesus said, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer answered, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now this, of course, is the parable of the Good Samaritan. We all know this one. But why is this particular parable so keenly relevant to this post-Christian relativistic culture that we live in? Well, I believe that, that this um, parable really touches a nerve deep down in our hearts. First of all, it's a story. It's, it's real life. And, and Jesus is, is able to take this profound spiritual truth, you know, what is love? And, and he takes it away from kind of the theological discussion and he brings it down to a real life issue. And he, and he, and he doesn't let us get away with not loving others. I mean, he really says uh, it resonates with our world because this parable really asks the question, you know, is Christian love real? Is the things that we talk about when we talk about love, is it real? And the ideas that we'll see in this passage is, is it inclusive? Is it genuine? Is it active? You know, our world is just filled with a lot of fake news. It's filled with a lot of disingenuous leadership uh, that says so many different things. It's filled with isolation. And, and, and these, I, this, this, this idea of inclusiveness, activeness, being genuine, I think these qualities are not just important for the gospel. I believe that they are essential for the gospel to really go forth uh, in our time. And so, really, if we're gonna answer this question, you know, is Christian love real? Uh, we're gonna have to answer it uh, by the way we live every day, the little things that we do uh, in terms of showing the love of Christ. And so we see here there's this lawyer, he wants to test Jesus. He asks Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? How do I get into the kingdom of God? And, and Jesus answers, you know, what does the law say? The teacher says, uh, gives the kind of the appropriate um, the appropriate cultural answer he says love the Lord your God with all your heart your soul strength love your neighbor as yourself now this actually comes from Deuteronomy and Leviticus and basically it's kind of like one of those things that anybody particularly a, a, an expert in the law a lawyer can't just quote off the top of their head it's like just it's like John 316 to us what's love oh John 316 I'll just say it um, but Jesus says doesn't say good he says do this and you'll live now jesus is not saying just to make it clear he's not saying do good things love so that you can get to heaven what he was doing is he was kind of jabbing this teacher kind of really attacking this teacher um, at the point of his greatest weakness and that is the area of love loving his neighbor how do we know this because the man's reply he said verse 29 it says he tried to justify himself he tried to say who is my neighbor because see in the ancient jewish tradition they taught that uh, uh there's there's actual written in in their laws that you should love everyone except for sinners and then it would define you know who sinners are and things like that and so jesus tells us at this point where jesus bringing bin, brings this this story of the good samaritan talking about a Jesus love. And what is a Jesus love? Again, he said, Jesus love is inclusive, and we'll talk about that. Jesus love is genuine. Jesus love is active. 
So let's look at the first. Jesus' love is inclusive. Now, a lot of Christians, we don't like the word inclusive, right? I mean, it smacks, sounds like relativism. Sounds like, you know, like the world. You know, everything's okay. Every point of view is valid. And every religion leads to God. Just love others, accept everyone. And we already talked about that, that that's kind of the worldly uh, worldview. And that that's not correct. And we know that for Christianity, there are some very, very exclusive elements in the message of Christian love. That there's only one way to heaven. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty exclusive. That means anybody else, any other way, they're not going to make it. Paul says to the church, expel the brother who is engaged in abhorrent sexual practice. Treat him as a non-believer. That's pretty exclusive, right? Kick him out of the church. John teaches us, don't entertain a person who's spreading heretical teaching or spreading heresy. Don't even let them walk into your house. That's pretty exclusive. And so we know for sure that the Bible really does set strong parameters regarding how we're to treat sin and falsehood and, and hurtfulness within the community. Okay, so it's very clear that the Bible does not teach just accept everything without discriminating it. But when it comes to the love of Jesus, the love of Jesus, uh, the key word is inclusiveness, that Jesus loves every person. And I believe that this is really something that, that we need to understand and inculcate within the, 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 the Jesus community. See, Jesus is teaching here in Luke 10 that Jesus loves every person. There is no one outside of the love of Jesus. This is a very, very basic truth. I mean, we all know this, but the question is, is how does this truth change the way in which we treat others? And that's really what Jesus is getting down to. You see, Jesus tells a story, goes on, and we know the priest comes, the injured man says he passes on the other side, a Levite does the same thing, he crosses on the other side. Now, it's interesting, Jesus does not actually say why they cross on the other side. You know, we can't speculate on that. But the point is that they deliberately made an effort to distance themselves from a person who is in need. And the most important thing is, of course, the third individual, verse 33, says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, it's interesting here, Jesus could have used any person, right? Because then a person came by. He could have kept it ethnically neutral, I mean, if he kept it ethnically neutral, this would be the parable of the good person, basically. Um, but it's known as the parable of the good Samaritan. And there's a reason. Because, see, this is a very politically, socially charged term. See, in this culture at this time, the priest and the Levite, when he mentions priest and Levite, automatically, in their minds, everyone listening would say, these are the good guys. I mean, that's what they're taught all their lives. These are the good guys. Of course, we're going to see them help the guy. And, but they walk on the other side, so they're like, what? This is really weird. They're the good guys. And, you know, Jesus would have got a lot of popularity points if he stuck with that story. And the priest came and saved him and rescued him and did all these things. And they go, yeah, that's what a priest, what a good priest. You know, but, but instead he says a Samaritan. And they go, Samaritan? What a culturally inappropriate story. I mean, if Jesus said this story now, he'd be plastered all over social media and they would go viral, you know, controversial rabbi makes racially inappropriate comments. And, and you know, everybody would be talking about Jesus. They'd be like, you know, Democrats would be separating themselves from Jesus. The Republicans would be separating themselves from Jesus because he made these controversial statements. And, but what Jesus is really doing here, 
is he's emphasizing the inclusiveness of the love of Jesus Christ. See, the, the, the idea that the Samaritan would be made the, the hero of the story. I mean, this is even known as the parable of the good Samaritan, meaning Jesus looks past the Samaritan's worldly identity and, and, and makes him the hero of the story, the, the example to follow. In a whole culture that assumes that a Samaritan would be the culprit of the story, the Samaritan, he's probably the one who beat him up in the first place. But Jesus uses the Samaritan as the one of the most complete examples of the love of Jesus Christ, of the love of God in Scripture. So what is Jesus trying to say about the love of God? First of all, he's saying that love, the love of God is inclusive, that God loves every person, every person deeply in his heart because they're his creation. He loves them. See, one of the, uh, the outstanding truths when we look at Genesis is that God created man in his image. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now again, there's a lot of argument about what is this image of God that's inside man. But I do believe that one of the things that it does highlight is how precious mankind, all of mankind, is to God. The value that God places upon man, that out of all the things that God has created in this world, out of all the nature, everything in nature, even of all the universe, none is more beloved by God than man. All of mankind. This is foundational to the idea of mission. This is foundational to the idea of the love of Jesus Christ. And so he's calling, he's reminding Jesus, reminding followers of Jesus to treat all human beings as, as those who are created in the image of Christ, as those who have dignity and res- deserve dignity and respect, not because of what they do, not because of their background, not because of what they believe, but because they are God's treasured creation, because God loves them so much that, that, that we, we can still treat people as though they are lost in sin, that they're destined for hell, but that does not preclude the fact that we must love them with all our heart and honor, give them honor and the value that God gives them as, 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 as his creation. That when we look at any person, that we don't see them as anything else but a lost soul who's created in the image of God and really what that means and how we should treat them. Uh, uh, you know, we live in a, see, here's the thing, we live in a world that's like constantly evaluating. I mean, this is it, right? Hashtag judging you. And basically, it's like the world bombards us with these accusations like you're a failure or you, 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 know, you don't dress the right way or, or you're not good enough for me or things like that. And, and it will elevate certain people that look a certain way and also caricature other people. We see this at work. We see this at school. We see this on TV. We see this in every form of media. We live in a world where, where they're lost and broken and hurting people who are continued to be evaluated according to their politics, according to their skin color, according to their dress. Actually, the flashing is kind of distracting there. <laughs> they're, 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 they're judged according to their possessions. They're judged according to their facial features. They're judged according to their friends. I mean, it's all around us, right? And the standards are always changing. 
like how you're judged. Before, nerdy was a terrible thing, right? You didn't want to be a nerd. Now everybody wants to be a nerd. You wear fake nerdy glasses just to be a nerd because that's cool. Um, long hair is out. Long hair is in. Corduroys are out. Corduroys are in. This is out. This is in. It's no wonder people live with so much stress and pressure to find love, to find approval, to find acceptance. See, being created in the image of God, that never changes, right? And that includes everybody. Everybody is created in the image of God. And so as a result, see, we as followers of Jesus Christ, because we live in such a judgmental culture, such a, a kind of a trivial culture, we need to be very intentional about transcending all these divisions and these worldly standards, that, that we need to have the ability to really ask God for the ability, the supernatural ability, to treat others with the inherent dignity and, and the love that they deserve as a creation of God. I mean, that's what really, you know, and we may say, well, yeah, I do, but in our hearts, people will know how we feel in our hearts by what we say, by even our facial expression, whether we treat them with dignity, whether we love them, or whether we think, oh, something's wrong with them. See, Jesus' love is not blind to sin, but Jesus' love does not set conditions on love, right? Give you an example, you know, for example, and this is a very, like, touchy example. Would a loving Christian, a loving Jesus supporter, would a loving Jesus supporter, a follower, would they support a marital union that is not in accordance with the design of God? No. Absolutely not. We would not. The word of God is very, very clear that we would not support a marital union that is not according to scripture. But would a loving Jesus follower be outraged when a professing gay or trans is bullied or when they live in fear or when they're discriminated against or when their parents hate them and kick them out of the house? We should be outraged. Why? Because whether they're gay or trans, it doesn't matter. They are created in the image of God. God loves them very much. He loves them as much as you and me. We cannot say that we love God and hate those who bear his image. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what they believe. Doesn't matter what they do. But unfortunately, when it comes to engaging the world with Jesus' love, too many Christians would walk on the other side of the road. See, Jesus didn't say why the priest or the teacher of the law walked on the other side. That's not the, the issue of why. The issue was the fact, the very act of going on the other side. And that's what Jesus was discouraging, this act of separation and avoidance. See, what Jesus wants us to do is he wants us to engage. Now again, you know this one. Take a little while, but some of you will know. He wants us to engage with those along your path who are hurting, who are beaten up, who are beaten up in life by Satan. Those who are looking for help, for compassion, but they're not finding it in the things that they're looking at. We're, we, we have the answer. We, we, we need to have a love, that is, a love that is not contingent upon someone's community, someone's behavior, or appearance would be a powerful testimony. 
in our generation. That's what really will speak to the people in our generation about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we can be a community known as a community of Jesus followers who love people in this way, who love, uh, uh, love the hurting, who love those who are like me and who love those who are not like me. That's what it means to, to have a Jesus love, that it's inclusive. That's what we mean when we say that God's love is inclusive. It doesn't mean we turn away from sin or we, we belittle sin, but it does mean that we really think about what this idea of created in the image of God really means and how it changes how we treat others and what we think of others. Second aspect of Jesus' love is that it is humble. It is genuine. Uh, the love that is inclusive is not easy. In fact, it's humanly impossible. See, our, our relativistic world says, you know, uh, 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 we can accept everyone. Now, this is not just love. They'll say, we can accept everyone without question. No matter what your beliefs, no matter what your behavior, we accept you, we love you. And that's what they say in their minds. That's the world. They say that. But, you know, actually in practice, it's not true, right? It's pipe dream. You can't. For example, this is a really simple example, and I heard this. Uh, there's a super radical activist in Santa Cruz, and he was championing, champion, championing the right of the homeless to live anywhere they wanted. He says, they're homeless. They should live anywhere they want until one of them started making their home in front of his family restaurant and started pooping there and leaving his garbage there and finally, he didn't hesitate to call the police and just get rid of him. Said, get, get, get rid of him. Because he's interfering with what I want to do in my life. And so we know that even the most open and accepting individuals um, can't be completely open and accepting. In fact, sometimes the most open societies can be the most divided societies, the most uh, angry and hate-filled in terms of people who don't agree with the things that they agree with. And that's the reason why, is because true love requires radical humility. It, it, that, that, that's what, what Jesus was saying to this, this, uh, this lawyer and to everyone around them when they heard this story. What would this mean to them <clears throat> to say the Good Samaritan? What would it mean to them to say we have to love like Jesus? they would be saying, oh my gosh, that means we have to get rid of everything else about us. All of our preferences, all of the way we've been taught, all of the way that we think and the people that we like, we gotta get rid of that. Humility is about shedding self from every aspect of what we do. And that's what Jesus was calling this lawyer to do. So you, if you really want to go to heaven, you gotta confess that you need Jesus that you can't do this. We have to die to self. And that takes a lot of humility. That if we're going to love like Jesus, we're gonna to have to die to self. That's the only way that our love will be genuine. And we need to really ask of God, you know, if I really do love others, in what way am I, I dying to myself? Final aspect, God's, Jesus' love is a very active love. 
You know, we live in a world where uh, talk is really cheap. There's so much talk, there's so much communication, there's so much analyzing, dissecting every single word, every tweet, every blog, uh, even stuff that somebody said, you know, uh, 20 years ago. Uh, we'll bring that out and talk about what did he mean by that? What did he say about that? You know, and so it's all about talk, but you know, we look at verse 33 and we see what the Samaritan did. He says he journeyed, he came where he was, saw him, had compassion. There's a lot of aspects about what the Samaritan did. He, uh, it was immediate, it was natural. It wasn't like this Samaritan was going out and it was contrived and disingenuous. I'm gonna do a good deed today. I'm gonna do my community service. No, he's just walking along the road. He sees somebody and he just goes help. It's natural. It's a natural response for him to love on whoever is there. Uh, it was practical. It was tangible. It was sacrificial. He bound his wounds. He set him on his own animal, meaning he had to walk the rest of the way. He gave personal money to, to, to care for him. And this is all a part of, of what, 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 um, what Jesus is saying is, is really, this is Jesus' love. It's not us just saying, okay, I'm going to do my good deed for the day. I'm going to do my Jesus thing for the day. It's about really everything about us. Are we going to be a person that loves like Jesus? Day by day. Is that going to be like my, the way in which I want God to form my heart in every single person that I meet, that I can treat them like a creation, like they're a, um, God's creation? Now, I, the other... Um, day I was watching this documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor? It's actually a really, really good documentary. Uh, very powerful. Uh, Fred Rogers. I don't know if many of you, how many people watched Fred Rogers when they were little? I mean, that's not, I mean all of us older, see the youth are gone, so they, they don't see it, but Fred Rogers, you know, um, Ro Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, uh, Fred Rogers was an ordained Presbyterian minister. He was called by God, and when he was ordained, He's, I guess he saw TV like for the first time and he was like, oh my gosh, what a wonderful way to communicate. And then he saw what was being communicated and he goes, what a terrible thing they're doing in terms of communicating to these children. They're just, he's saying they're throwing pies in the face, they're doing stupid things, they're hurting each other, they're, they're glorifying violence even at that time. And he says, wow, you know, why, you know, why don't people use this as an expression of ministry? And so he, he, having no experience in the entertainment business, but just being a pastor, like his heart was for being a pastor, he said, I want to give my life to giving this message uh, to, to this ministry, to children especially. And his, his message was, you're special, no matter who you are, no matter what you do. You're special, you're loved. And that's, that's what he's constantly saying throughout his, you know, it's interesting, I was thinking about it because I was thinking like, looking at Sesame Street, Sesame Street teaches you, okay, one, two, three, they're teaching you how to, be smart, how to learn things. And then like, you know, there'd be others, you know, the electric company will teach you different verbs, things like that, right? And then there's Teletubbies, which teaches you nothing. You know, I don't know what Teletubbies teaches, just teaches you to watch TV more to get addicted. And then, and then there's Mr. Rogers, and Mr. Rogers, I didn't think about it, because when you're so young, you don't think about it, but when you look at it now, you say, what Mr. Rogers was teaching was something much more profound than just, oh, here's math, here's ABC, here's how you use your verbs. He was teaching about values. He was teaching about imagination. He was teaching about how children look at themselves and, and look at themselves in the world. 
And, uh, and it was interesting because later on, uh, people brought accusations against Mr. Rogers. They actually protested Mr. Rogers, believe it or not. And they were saying, oh, Mr. Rogers, when he's teaching, you're special. He's saying there's giving their children a whole generation a sense of privilege, you know, and our kids are going to be lazy and spoiled because they're going to think they're so special and they're not going to work hard and earn their respect. And, oh, you know, they're going to be so disappointed when they realize that they're not very special and they're going to give up their hope and all this kind of stuff. And so they were, there's all this protest against Mr. Rogers. And Mr. Rogers, he actually went on TV and he said, uh, this is the news, and he said, I know that people are accusing me uh, of this and that. And he says, but all I want to do is tell children that they're special just the way that they are. He says, it's not about what others say about you. It's not about what you accomplish. It's not about anything you do. The truth remains that you are loved and accepted just the way you are. And if you're asking me to change this message, you're asking me to change one of the fundamental truths of the Bible. And that's powerful. And growing up, my mom always used to tell me that uh, we were smart. I mean, that's the thing that, that she always told us. She was, grew up in, well, she went to Berkeley. She grew up in the 60s and all this radical stuff. But one thing she always tells us is, don't ever let anybody tell you you're stupid. Everyone is smart. Not just you, everyone is smart. I don't believe that there's anything, there's any such thing as a stupid people. Now, my mom's not a Christian. This is just, she believed with all her convictions. And this is, she said, doesn't matter what grades you get. Obviously, she's not a typical Asian mom. <laughs> she said, doesn't matter what grades you get. I don't care what the teacher thinks about you. You're smart. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Doesn't matter what other kids say. Doesn't matter what the teacher says. You're smart. And my mom she sincerely believed this. She would fight for it. If a teacher actually said something bad about me, she would go to the teacher and say, how dare you say that my child is not very smart? Um, she would not let anyone say anything about me not being smart. I mean, that, that was just the home in which we lived. Now, of course, you go into the world. I go into the world every day. I go to school, and I get my test back, and I go, gee, you know, I'm kind of stupid, you know, or whatever. I'll say, you know, and my friends will say, yeah, you're so stupid, you know, things like that. You compare your grades, and the message is always, you know, you're, you're, you're not smart. What's wrong with you? You know, I was not the 90%. I was not the Asian that was supposed to be at the top. I was the only Asian in school, so nobody knew that Asians were supposed to be on top, so that was good for me. <laughs> but at any rate, um, you know, but that was the world saying, oh, you know, you're this and that. And, but my mom at home would always say, you know, um, you're smart and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And that was home. That was the message that we always had. Um, so the challenge for us today, I really believe, is to really say, you know, God loves every single person. You are loved. You are valued by God. It doesn't matter what anybody says. It doesn't matter what anybody says. It doesn't matter how the world treats you. It doesn't even matter how Christians treat you. You are loved by God because God loves every single person. This is what it means. This is what living hope should mean. This is what the children's ministry should mean. This is what the youth ministry should mean. This is what the college ministry should mean. This is what the adult ministry, this is what every ministry should say. You are loved by God more than you know. And if you can't remember all the verses and all that stuff, that doesn't change the fact that you're loved by God. And we were going to treat you like you're loved by God. It doesn't matter if you're like, you know, uh, uh, you come to church all the time, you don't come to church all the time, or we know what you do outside of 
class or things like that, you are loved by God all the time. And we will treat you in that way, that you are a creation of God. And he loves you more than anything else in the world. And the question is, how will we bring this type of love to the workplace, to the school, to the neighborhood, wherever we go, in the things we do? What do we say to a coworker who got chewed out for making a mistake? Are we going to be the ones that go up there and say, hey, man, it's okay, man. You did a really great job. I really appreciate it. Or, or the person who you notice is having a really hard day and no one else, everybody else seems to be like avoiding them. They're the, they're the ones that, that are mean to everybody and suddenly they got their comeuppance and everybody's kind of like avoiding them. What are you going to do? Are you going to be the one that goes up and says, hey, I'm really sorry. Are you okay? What do you say to that person that nobody ever notices, the person that drops off your mail or does the thing for you every day and you say, oh, thank you. Know, yeah. Don't even look at them. Or you say, hey, thanks. How's your day going? Sometimes just a smile, a hello, a thank you um, is expressing value. It's expressing the love of Jesus. Now, it's not the gospel. We still have to engage in those uh, worldview questions. I'm saying we still got to engage in those worldview questions. And I hope you, you thought about that and tried it. But alongside with that, we make sure that in our workplace, in our culture, we have expressed this sense that you are loved and valued because you're a creation of God. And you're not going to be treated any differently, no matter what you do, no matter what you believe, uh, no matter what you have done, and no matter what everybody else thinks about you in this place. You are a creation of God. You are God's loving and beautiful creation. He loves you with all his heart. And I will treat you with the love and respect and honor uh, that, that is given to you by God because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and let's uh, spend some time in prayer. And let's really think about this in, in the places where we are, in the people around us.